0: Brought your Bible uh, today, I would like you to turn to Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12. And for those of you who have an analog version of the Bible, the old-fashioned kind, you can take your index finger. You're going to need your index finger today, okay? And you're going to put it there at Luke 12, and then you're going to keep turning to the right so you get to 1 Timothy 6, so that you have both of those places bookmarked. Now, if you have a mobile device... That has the Bible on it. You're going to need your thumb. Okay, so analog, you need an index finger, mobile devices, you need a thumb to find those two verses that we're going to look at in just a few moments. And as you locate those, let me say welcome to you, uh, to all those who are worshiping with us today in all of our venues. We're delighted to have you. Uh, My name is David, and I serve as one of the pastors here. And I especially want to welcome you if you're a first-time guest with us Uh, today. We're delighted to have you and love to answer any questions you have. Uh, Just after the service, you can stop by the connecting point. We'd we'd love to meet you there uh, and help you in any way uh, that we can. Last week, uh, Pastor Johnny uh, opened up this series called Be Rich, uh, and I'm assuming that there are some that may have missed that. If you'd like to go back uh, and listen to that message, you can do so online. I'll say a few more words about it. Uh, in just a few moments, Uh, but there may be some who are brand new, didn't hear the first message of the series, so I want to reset a few things for you. The first thing I want to tell you about is if you are a regular attender here, You should have received this packet uh, in the mail from the church that has this uh, red heart on it. Uh, If you did not receive this for any reason, we would love to to bless you with that. So right after the service, you can stop by the connecting point and pick that up. Inside that packet, uh, you're going to receive this book, uh, How to Be Rich by Andy Stanley. This is a book uh, that Pastor Mike and I have selected for you. We think it's going to be a blessing to you and a blessing to our church as we read this book together. So I want to encourage you uh, to do that. It's It's a thin book. Okay, if you can see that, it won't take you too long. I promise it won't be too painful. Uh, it's a great read. And again, I think it'll be a blessing to you. If you're a first time guest, we'd love to give you one as well. So again, you can stop by the connecting point uh, after the service. The second thing I want to pronounce out to you, this is really, really important. I want you to understand that the title of this book and the title of this series is not How to Get rich, okay? There are whole sections of the bookstore that you can go to if that's what you're interested in, okay? And I, you know, go, no guarantees there, but you can go check that out. It's okay. You can laugh. You can go to the go to Barnes & Noble. You can pick that up. Uh, if you're looking for a church that would do a series called How to Get Rich, this is not us. That's not us, okay? So sorry about that too, but that's, that's not what this series is about. This series is about how to be rich. Now, I know some of you are thinking, that sounds great. Like, I would love to be rich. Like if I could just get rich, then I would be good at being rich. That's kind of what many of us think. And, and so I want to talk up front about what that means to be rich and what's the whole focus of this series of, of how we can be good at, at, at being rich. One of the first things that Andy talks about in this book uh, is a Gallup poll that was done several years ago in which people were asked the question, the first question being, are you rich? And the second question, if, you, if for those who said no, it was how much would you need to have in order to be rich? And this is the fascinating thing that came out of that study, is for every single person, they defined rich as roughly double their personal wealth. So in other words, if someone who made $30,000 a year was asked the question, are you rich? They'd say, no, I'm not rich. But I'll tell you who is rich. People who make about $60,000, if I had about $60,000, I would feel rich. And then the the next person who made $60,000 was asked the question, are you rich? And they said, no, no, I'm not rich. But man, if my income could be doubled, I would be rich. And on and on it went up into the people who made millions of dollars a year, who when asked the question, are you rich? They said, no, I'm not rich. But. If I made about double what I make now, then I would would feel rich. So one of the phenomenons that Andy talks about at the very beginning of the book is this. That nobody is rich, but everybody knows someone who is. Nobody is rich, but everybody knows someone who is. If I asked you, are you rich? You'd be like, no, I'm not rich. But I can tell you 10 people I know that are rich because of what we see in our perspective on this the the other thing that you could you could add here is that rich according to this when you think about it this way rich is a moving it's a moving target here's what andy says in the book rich is the other guy rich is the other family rich isn't just having extra rich is having as much extra as the person who has who has more extra than you do and if that's the case hear this very carefully you can be rich and not know it you can be rich and not feel it, you can be rich and not act like it. And that is a problem. So let me throw a couple of stats out at you that may help us in in thinking about this question of, are we in fact rich? Are we richer than we realize? Do you know that if your annual household income is $48,000 or above, you are in the top 1% of wage earners in the entire world? Now, think about that. 48,000 or above, you're in the top 1% in the entire world. Now, here's what that means. Over the course of this weekend, we'll have seven worship services with about 2,000 people in attendance, and that would mean that if you're in that category, you're in a group of about 20 people who have more than everyone else if if our church, uh, if, if we represented the economic conditions of the entire world. Now think about that. That's not the reality in which we live every single day. That's not what we see when we drive around. We think about what what rich is. But that's the reality of the world in which we live, the the world in which God loves, that that that's the top 1%. If you lower that to $37,000, you're in the top 4%. So you would be in a group of about 80 people out of 2,000 who are here in worship. Who, who have more than, than everyone else. Now, no one's going to go home today at, but ha- having heard those stats and go, wow, I'm, I'm really rich. I feel so rich. This is amazing. Because you still have obligations. You still have bills. You still have the reality of, of your life. But here's what it should do for us as we just kind of set ourselves in this series and think about how to be rich. It should end the discussion for us of are we in fact rich? Does God see us as those who have resources that we can use to bless and serve others? It should end that discussion for us. Now, what Pastor Johnny talked about last week is what do we do when we're hit with that reality? What do we do when we look at the world from God's perspective and see who we really are? How do we respond to that? And Johnny talked about his experience last year of being in Uganda, was there for six weeks to adopt his son, Charlie. I want to show you uh, this picture of, of Johnny and Holly and Charlie. This is one of the greatest blessings in our, in our church family. One of my favorite things to do during the week is uh, before uh, our Sunday morning services, Charlie comes to our pre-service meeting and he sits with me and, and we talk and give high five. And Charlie, is a, he's a part of our family now because of that experience that Johnny and Holly had of going to Uganda to adopt him and to bring him to their, to their forever home. But Johnny talked about having that experience of living for an extended period of time in a foreign country, how, how the resources that he is blessed with here that he just receives as an expectation of his life, what it's like to live in a place where th- those aren't present, around people who he described as, as not being poor but not having as much as, as he and, and Holly had. And he said when you're hit with that reality, when, when, when you see it, the goal is not guilt, because guilt never does anything good for us. I don't know if you've noticed that, but in my ministry, I've never seen life-giving, God-honoring change come from guilt. I don't think it does that. I don't think that, that it motivates us in, in that way. Guilt is not the goal. Rather, the goal, when, when we see the reality, we understand who we really are, the goal is that we would live with gratitude and generosity that we would have a sense of, of, of gratefulness for what we have and, and a commitment to being generous with, with what God has blessed us with. But what I want to talk about today is why that's hard. Like, why is that hard? Why is it so hard for us? To, to, to live with, with those two characteristics, why is it so easy for us to look at our life, whatever category we might look at, and, and to simply expect uh, and to live w- w- with that, that kind of expectation that these things will always be here? To forget the blessing of running water or someone who comes to pick up the trash or, 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 or that when we leave today, most of us will not think about, what well, where am I going to get money to find food? I mean, we, we live with those things, and it's so easy for us to take those things for granted. Why is it so hard for for us to live with a sense of gratitude and generosity. That's what I want to talk about today. And here's what I want to tell you up front. I want to tell you first what it's not. The first thing that it's not, and I absolutely believe this, is it's not the culture in which we live. It's not the culture's fault. Now, hear me now. The culture's not helping, okay? They're not helping you in any way. We live in a culture that tries to foster discontentment at every single turn in part because the the culture wants you to be discontented so that you will buy more of the stuff that the culture is selling, okay? So culture is not helping us, but culture is not the primary enemy. And here's the really good news. It's not even you, like the end of this message is not you're just a horrible person. Like, that's not where we're going at the end of this. That's not what the point of the series is. The point of the series is not that well, you're just a bad person, and you probably had your light off on a Friday night. You were sitting inside eating all the Reese's peanut butter <laughs> cups for yourself. That's not that that you're not the primary enemy. Rather, the primary enemy is the disease that we are all carriers for. And given the right circumstances, the right thoughts, and the right behaviors, it is a sickness that has the power to grow to the point where it can destroy our soul. And and because this sickness is so powerful, and because it has the capacity to destroy our soul, Jesus talked about this sickness and this topic more than any other topic in his ministry. Because he knew and he understood how deadly it is for those who want to follow him. So I want to show you first one one of those instances when Jesus is asked about this. So this is Luke chapter 12. And Jesus is kind of in the middle of a teaching. Okay, there's a crowd that's gathered. Jesus is talking about something else. And in verse 13, Jesus is interrupted. It says this, someone in the crowd said to him, so just interrupting Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I don't know what you call that at home, but we call that tattling in my house. That's what it is. This, we have one brother who is tattling on another brother in the middle of this crowd. You can imagine one brother very embarrassed, you know, punching his brother. What do you talk? Jesus is busy, you know, but he, he wants he wants Jesus to weigh in on this. And this is how Jesus replies. He says, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Which, by the way, is pretty much what I say when my kids tattle. I say it a little bit differently. I say, go ask your mother. But that's pretty much what Jesus says here. (laughs) Who appointed me? But then Jesus, he he changes directions. He moves away from what he was teaching to talk about this. Perhaps because this is one of Jesus' favorite topics. And this is what he says. He said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Greed. Now, my guess is that regardless of what translation you're reading this morning, the word is greed. Like I went through and looked at a lot of the popular translations, they all translate this word as greed. And I want you to hear that as kind of a loaded word. Like that's a word that if you said that to somebody, that's like a personal attack. Like this is one of those words that politicians use at the end of the election season, right? Right? I don't know what your mailbox looks like, but that's what's in mine. But thats I want you to think about it. That's the word that Jesus uses here. It's a really loaded word. It's a word that kind of makes us cringe a little bit. He continues saying this. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he told him a story. The story went like this. The, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? Like he has a problem now because there's two much of a harvest. I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'm going to do. I will tear down my barns, the ones I already have, and I will build bigger ones, and there is where I will store my sur- surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, this is the rich man talking to himself. After all this is done, the new barns are built, all this the surplus grain is stored, I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years, so take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you're a fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And Jesus says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. So we have this this really loaded word, this this word that if we were to use it in a sentence with someone else, it would really feel like a personal attack. It's a word that that may make us cringe a little bit, this word greed. And here's how Jesus defines greed, this thing that we're supposed to watch out for, that we're supposed to be on guard for. He says, greed grows from from two false ideas, two false uh, assumptions that, that we sometimes make. The first is that life consists in the abundance of possessions. Jesus says that's a seed. That's a seed that grows and, and can grow in your life to the point where it will destroy your soul. That's the source of greed, that, that false notion that life consists in the abundance of possessions. And the second thing is this, this false notion that hope and life and significance and meaning, you can actually bottle it up. And if you have a big enough barn, you can store it away for the future. And, and what the point of the story is that, that Jesus is offering is this that the barn will never be big enough, it doesn't fit hope and life and, and significance and meaning are not something that can be stored away. But greed, this, this loaded word, this, this sickness that we are all carriers for, it grows from those two false assumptions that life consists in possessions, the abundance of possessions and the, and the ability to store up hope and significance and meaning and, and store it in a bigger barn. So let's turn over to 1 Timothy 6. This is kind of a theme verse for us in this series. This is Paul writing to Timothy. And he's teaching the younger Timothy how he should instruct the people in the community that he is serving. So this is a pastor talking to a pastor. And this is what he says to Timothy. He says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And I forgot to read to you verse 17, so we're going to go back. Verse 17, he says, command those who are rich, which, by the way, is us, okay? Command those who are rich, hate to be the one who reminds you of that, but command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides for us, provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So if you have, if you have resources, if you have an abundance, if you find yourself in a place where you're actually in a place where you are rich, be, be wary of these false notions that life consists in the abundance of possessions, that hope and meaning and significance can be balled up. Instead, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So here's one of our convictions, a conviction that we share if, if you are a follower of Jesus. Our conviction is that Jesus believes that your soul is worth saving. He believes that about me. He believes that about you. He believes that about all of us. He believes that about everyone in our world. And because Jesus believes that, Jesus speaks about this topic more, more than any other. It's one of the reasons that we know it's, it's not our culture's fault. This is not a modern phenomenon. It's, it's not a byproduct of the American way or the capitalism that marks our culture. It, we can't blame any of those things because this problem is as old as the world. And Jesus talked about it to an audience who had almost no resources because he understood that we have an enemy that lives within us that given the right thoughts and circumstances and behaviors can grow to the point where it will destroy our souls. And because Jesus believes that, he wants us to know what the weapons are that we use to fight back against those false notions, those lies that will steal our soul away. And verse 18, which is the theme verse for us in this series, is Jesus' prescriptions of how we fight back. We do good. We be rich in good deeds, we are generous, and we are willing to share. That when we give, when we give, whether it's to the church, or the Salvation Army, or the Red Cross, or the local hospital, or some cancer research foundation, it doesn't matter where it is, but when resources that we have leave us and go away to others, it is a part, uh, it is us participating in the saving of our own souls of saying, this is not all for me. I will not buy into the lies that the culture and the, and the greed within me would sell to me. Rather, I'm going to give in order to participate in the saving of my own soul. Jesus said, if you want to save your life, you have to lose it. And when you give your life away in an intentional way of service and sacrifice, you're actually participating in the saving of your own life. So next week, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what that looks like in your life. How do you practically build in the practice of generosity in your life? Uh, And and I hope you'll be here for that because I I hope that next week is one that if this is nowhere in your life, you have no idea what this is like, at the end of next week's message, you will at least have a plan for how you might engage that in your life. But I want to give you just a few pictures of what I think that looks like for us. The first is a, a story from my own life. When I was uh, 25 or 26 or around that age, my, uh, my wife and I were expecting our first child, we, our, our daughter, Anna, and, and we were at that stage in life where we were trying to make responsible decisions. Like, that's what you do when you're, you're having a child. You're like, okay, I need to make some responsible decisions to get ready for this, to, to kind of get into this mode of thinking. And so one of those was, we decided we needed to get a life insurance. Like, up until that point, it's like, if one of us go, you know, you're on your own. You know, I mean, that's kind of how we thought about it. But then, you know, when you have a dependent, you're like, okay, I got to do something responsible here. And so we decided we were going to get life insurance. So we went through the whole process of that. And if you're not at that stage in life where you've started making responsible decisions, here's what happens when you sign up for life insurance. You have to go through some sort of uh, a medical test to see what the likelihood is that you're going to die and they're actually going to have to pay you money. You know, that's pretty much how that works. They can't, you know, account for... car hitting you or those kind of things, but they want to see other th- things that might, might threaten your life. And so they take blood, they, get, they do go through this whole test, and then what happens is they come back and they kind of share with you the results. So the, the insurance agent came back to me, it was a guy in the church that I was serving at the time, and he said, I got good news and I got bad news. Good news is we're going to get you some life insurance. We're going to get you covered. This is a responsible decision that you're making. We affirm this. You're going to be okay. Your wife's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. The daughter's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. We're going to get you some life insurance. Here's the bad news. It's going to be a little bit more expensive than I told you it was going to be. He said, and this is why. He said, you need to know this. You need to know that the number that came back on your cholesterol was higher than any number I have ever seen before. And there was like this split second moment like, yeah. Oh, wait, that's bad. Like you don't want a high number. Oh, okay. (laughs) I mean, I was thinking first place. Yes. No, that's not how it works. So he said, here's what you need to do. You got to go to your doctor. And you got to talk to him about this now again i'm 25 uh around that age at the time i'd never really been sick i'd never broken a bone you know i'd been to the doctor once a year for the annual checkup but nothing had ever been wrong with me before so this is a whole new thing but when i was going to the doctor i knew that there were some things he was going to talk about like there were some lifestyle changes that i needed to make i was about 50 pounds heavier than i am today uh, I was still eating like I was 19 years old. You know, I, I knew that there were some things he was going to address. There were some things that were going to get brought up. So I go to the doctor and he tells me all these things. and 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 here's what you need to do. You need to stop eating anything that tastes good. And here's a list of things that don't taste good. Just eat things off this list. And and, uh, you need to exercise. I wasn't exercising. I knew all that stuff. He said, we're going to attack this, and we need to see how much we can affect this number with lifestyle changes. That's going to be our first step, is we're going to see how how much of a difference that we can make. He said, but before you leave my office, he said, I need you to understand something. David, I need you to wrap your head around something. I need you to wrap your head around the idea that I'm convinced that if you don't do something about this, you're going to be dead of a heart attack by the time you're 45. You, you can't leave this office until you wrap your head around that. That's what he said to me. So this is a big deal. You got to do something about this. So I was, you know, fairly motivated going in, but then it was like, okay, motivation goes up pretty high, you know, when, you're, when you, someone says you're, you're only going to live another 20 years. And so I, I, I invested in those things. I, I changed my lifestyle. I started exercising. I lost the weight. I, I did everything that the doctor, you know, told me to do. I didn't eat anything that tasted good. Yeah, it was, it was just that's what I did. And and I lost the weight. and I went back to the doctor. We did the test and I was so excited. Here's where you know where are we going to be today? We're going to make such a big difference. And the number had hardly changed at all. <laughs> And it was really defeating. I mean, everything that I'd done was good. I was feeling better. Life was better. But the primary enemy in my life was not addressed. I hadn't really, I hadn't really done what I, what I really wanted to do, which was address that, that need in my life. And he said, that's okay. And now we just need to go to the next step. And the next step is that, that we're going to give you some pills. And he said, here's the deal. It's not one pill. I can't give you a shot and, and make you better for the rest of your life. Instead, what you're going to do for probably the rest of your life is once a day you're going to take a pill. And you need to take that pill about the same time every single day. But that's what you're going to do. You're going to invest in this practice. You're going you're to open up this, this cap. You know, it's about 15 seconds depending on how long it takes me to get through the childproof cap. But, you know, it, it, to, you're going you're to take out the pill. You're going to pour some water. You're going you're gonna to take this pill, and that's what you're going to do every single day. And so for nine years, for nine years... I do that at the same time every single day. Those 15 seconds in my life, every single day, look, look identical. And, and here's why I do it. Because he's convinced me that over the course of my life, that will save my life. Over the course of my life, as I engage in that practice, that consistent practice, I can't do it every other day. I can't do it at 3 o'clock one day and 9 p.m. the the other day. It's 9.30 every night. I got to take my pill. As I invest in that practice, every single day, I'm convinced that over the course of my life, I'm going to save my life. And so that's, that's, that's the practice that I've invested in. And my suggestion to you is that that's how generosity works in your life. You can't just take a shot. It's not, it's not a one-time pill. It is a, it is a consistent practice in which we participate in the saving of our life by fighting back against the lies that we are so, so susceptible to believe, that life consists in the abundance of possessions, that hope and life and significance and meaning can be bottled up and just and just stored away. But when we give, we, we say, no, I don't believe that. I don't believe that my hope is in any of these things. I believe that my hope is in God and in, in what God is doing in the world we're going to talk about this for two more weeks and i'm not dumb i just want you to know that i'm not dumb i know that it would be easy for some to say this is this is two weeks that would be great to take a vacation from church right i know that and i understand that because i am a carrier for the same sickness that you are but here's what here's why we're going to talk about this we're going to talk about this because in my opinion in my understanding of jesus and his teaching A pastor who doesn't talk about generosity and money is like a doctor who won't talk to you about cancer. That's what it is. Because this threatens the health of your soul. And it's subtle. It'll seep into your life. It'll seep into your thinking. It'll seep into into your behavior. And over the course of your life, it has the capacity to destroy your life. Let me me tell you how I know that. I uh, brought this cup up here. This is not product placement. That would be rather ironic. Um, But I brought this cup up here for two reasons. Number one, I didn't preach last week, and you get out of the habit, and your mouth gets all messed up, so sometimes I need some water. But the second reason is, is um, before Saturday night worship yesterday, I went to Starbucks to get some coffee. Now, yesterday was November 1st. In Starbucks world, what does that mean? Does anybody know what it means on November 1st? It means the Red Cups. I don't know if you know that. Some of you are really excited. You want to leave right now because you want a Red Cup. But the Red Cups are back at Starbucks. That's that's what November 1st means, which for some of us, because we're just weird, I don't know what it is. It's some sort of psychological deficiency in my mind. Now I want coffee more because they have Red Cups. It doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> it's maddening, but it's but it works. It's, uh, I don't know why. So, I, so yesterday... I usually go by Starbucks before Saturday night worship. I don't go every day. I'm not one of those people, okay? And I don't get frou frou coffee. I get real cop. But, anyways, I'm going through the drive thru. It's November 1st, and I'm so excited. It's Red Cup Day. And this is the cup they give me it's a white cup. There's nothing exciting. It's just a white cup. What do you do with a white cup? And, and, and for a moment, I was so disappointed. I mean, I I almost, I just, this is is just me being very vulnerable. I wanted to give the coffee back. I mean, I really did. I wanted to say, here's this November 1st, I want my red cup. Until it hit me, this is what hit me. I'm in the car, I'm driving to the church to talk about gratitude and generosity. (laughs) And I'm complaining about my white cup. That's that's what, if you didn't get that, just ask the person, that's what was happening. I was on the way to church to talk about gratitude and generosity, and I was disappointed in the color of my cup. (laughs) Now, here's what I believe. I believe that God gives us opportunities to see ourselves as we really are. And sometimes those moments are just like, bam, there I am. Oh, wow, disappointed. Who's disappointed? I'm disappointed in me. I'm disappointed in who I am. That I would sit there in the drive-thru line and want to give the cup back because it's not the right color. It's, it's one of those moments where it's just, bam, this is who you really are. And here's what I've discovered in my life. There's two, thing, two ways that you can deal with that. The first thing you can do, which is so easy to do, is you can just run from it and say, I do not want to look in that mirror again. I don't want to deal with that. And that's easy to do. But the second thing that you can do, that I hope maybe for those who, who might say, hey, this would be a great time to take a vacation, I hope this is what, hap- what will happen for you. I hope that if you look in the mirror and you say, that's not who I want to be, that you would just say, Jesus, change me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, make me, me more into who I'm supposed to be and, and what, you, what you want me to be. That was my prayer yesterday as I left the drive through line to go to church to talk about gratitude and generosity is, Lord, thank you for hitting me over the head and reminding me that I'm not who I want to be. I'm not there yet, but Lord, change me. Because at the end of my life, here's what I'm convinced about. I'm convinced about it for me, and I'm convinced about it for you. At the end of my life, there's going to be a pastor who gathers with my family, and no one's going to have a calculator. Like that's never happened with me sitting with a family and talking about the the capacity of someone's life. No one pulls out a calculator to, to, to look at your net worth, how much you gained. We always, 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 always talk about how much that person gave every single time. And if there aren't any stories to share about that, there's very, very little to say. So, I hope we'll be back next week as we talk about how to be rich. Let's pray. Loving and gracious God, we pause this morning to give you thanks for the abundant blessings that you have poured into our life. And even as we do that, Lord, we know that it is too easy for us to take those for granted. To receive them as expectations rather than blessings. And to forget that you are present in our life and working in tremendous ways. We forget, Lord, that there are so many in our world who don't have water running into their home. Who in just a while, Lord, will will wonder where they are going to get their next meal. And because we don't live in that reality, Lord, we forget that there are many that do. So we pray that you would humble us. That you would teach us. And that you would remind us today, Lord, especially as we pause now to receive Holy Communion. To remember your sacrifice and your gift to us. Remind us, Lord, that we are all beggars who are in need of you the love and grace and life that you have come to bless us with. Help us to receive it today, Lord, in a brand new way. And in the receiving of that gift, Lord, help us to participate in the the saving of our own life by living in a new way. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.